You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hi everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack Curling Podcast. This is season number nine of the podcast and on our season premiere, we welcome David Murdoch who had the curling world buzzing late last March when he announced his move to Canada. We're also joined by one of the preeminent young Canadian curling couples, Laurie Saint-Georges and Felix Asselin, who joined me to discuss everything from the upcoming World Mixed Championship to Mixed Doubles to how they fit all of these different disciplines into their schedule. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me this week. Once again, my name is Frank Rock. I'm going to start this season by going off script a little bit with you, the audience. When last season ended, I had some big plans for the upcoming season of the From the Hack Curling podcast. We were going to tweak the format, we were going to do different things, do some fun things, while still uh, keeping some of our favorite uh, episodes of the year, our Briar and Scotty's previews, and, and some of the other stuff we do each season. Unfortunately, um, real life kind of got in the way uh, this summer. Uh, in, uh, in July, not too long after the end of the curling season, uh, my mother, who was in her 70s, uh, was uh, diagnosed with a cancerous tumor and, uh, in her brain. And I, as her primary uh, caregiver, uh, spent the better part of the summer uh, dealing with that, um, helping her go through treatment uh, at a cancer center in northern Ontario uh, here in Sudbury. Uh, and uh, and basically caring for her over the summer and and quite frankly I I didn't have the time uh, nor the energy to to work on uh, on a new format and uh, and do the type of work during the off season that that would have required. Um, I also want to tell you that I'm going to do everything in my power this uh, this fall to to produce as many episodes as possible. Uh, they may not be as regular as I would like. Uh, my mom is clearly entering the final. Um, the final stages of her, of her journey, uh, and I want to be very present for that, and I want to be there for her during that that journey, the the, the last few uh, the last few kilometers of her journey, if you will. And uh, all that being said, from the hack is very important to me. It's uh, something that uh, makes my world feel normal. Uh, interviewing my guest this week, David Murdoch, uh, a, f- a few days ago, and and then uh, about 24 hours before uh, I produced this episode, I spoke to Laurie Saint George and uh, and Felix Aslane. For the first time in uh, in a couple of months, things felt normal. So I apologize for rambling on. I wanted to give you some insight on uh, on what happened over the summer, and uh, and uh, of course. Uh, perhaps giving you an explanation as to why the episodes may not be as regular as they have been in typical years. But I'll do my best to ensure that uh, that we have content for you a uh, couple of times a month like we've done over the past several years. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy the episode. And uh, as mentioned earlier, I am honored to have David Murdoch, Olympic medalist, world champion, and now the director of high performance of Curling Canada as my first guest of Season 9. David, obviously it's only been a few short months since you were hired on as Curling Canada's new Director of High Performance. How chaotic was your summer as you and your family transitioned from Scotland to Canada and have you managed to settle down a little bit at this point? Yeah, it's been quite a whirlwind, to be honest, Frank. It, uh, you know, since I took the job, 
uh, beginning of March. That was my first uh, my first day, and um, there's just been a lot to do. Obviously, um, trying to sell your house, uh, move across the the globe, trying to find a location to live, trying to get school sorted out, um, buy another property. Uh, and just everything that goes around that in terms of you know finance and uh, uh, you know just making sure you can you know find a vehicle and all these types of things. There's just so much that you have to um, really think about and try and uh, get as busy as you can to make all these things happen. So yeah, it's been a really busy summer. We're on Vancouver Island at my wife's parents, and that's where we based ourselves after we sold our house, and we've now. Uh, what a property just uh, south of Calgary. So, um, yeah, we're uh, starting to get settled in there. You just referred to staying with your in-laws on Vancouver Island, David. For those in the audience who might not be aware, your wife is Canadian, which means you already do have a Canadian connection, right? Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, you know, Steph's been in Scotland for 12 years now and lived uh, lived in Stirling. And, uh, you know, the, the job came up and thought, you know, here's an opportunity. It's a... Uh, an exciting opportunity, a biggest country in the world for for sport, and you know I've been coming to Canada for for oh, you know around thirty years, and just thought you know I'd always I'd always wanted to try it, and obviously having a young family, and my wife's got a lot of our uh, siblings with family too. I thought you know there's there's a great opportunity just to to come over here, and and I think the project that uh, Curling Canada wants to wants to head towards with a program and a high performance program then it was exciting and uh, the the project excited me and uh gonna give it a go for sure david can you walk me through your thought process when you first heard that curling canada was looking for a new director of high performance were you immediately interested in the position or did you reach out to some of your canadian contacts to get a better feel of what the new director of high performance might be stepping into before you express your interest in the position yeah, I had heard that Jerry uh, Jerry Peckham was was thinking about retirement. Um, you know, I have a few contacts here and a few friends here that that mentioned that that could be the case. And um, you know, post Beijing with the British Curling Program, you know, with a lot of success there. And you know, I didn't actually think about um, you know coming over here. It wasn't really on my radar to to leave the program in, in Scotland, um, but. The more uh, you know, the more I had time to have a think, and and uh, just saw the opportunity that this job was coming online. I thought, you know, here's here's a great chance. Here's a, an opportunity to do uh, to do some more exciting things and be part of you know a great curling community. So you know, sometimes you got to be brave, and uh, I think it was it was a tough step to make. You know, I had a lot of great colleagues and and. Uh, good friends in Scotland and obviously my family too. So it was a very, very difficult decision to do. Um, but certainly um, from being here the last few months, it's, uh, it's felt the right decision. It's been, it's been a great, uh, it's been a great transition over. I've been really helped into, into my role by, by Jerry as well, actually. And, and a lot of the high performance staff who've been you know very welcoming. Um, and also, uh, getting to know the athletes, getting to know all the stakeholders too, and, and trying to build a better rapport. So it's uh, it's been uh, it's been a really enjoyable first few months. Now, David, I know sometimes when you're coaching a team or you're the head of an organization, it's easy to look at other teams and other organizations, and and sometimes in the middle of a game or 
or uh, in your off time thinking about, you know, if I was the head of that program or of that team, you know, I might try this or I might do that. Did you do any of that when it came to Curling Canada? Did you ever sit there in your in your free time or uh, or at any point during your stint uh, as the head coach for uh, for Scotland? Uh, what you might do if ever you were in charge of the Canadian program, the high performance program here in Canada? Uh, I'm not sure I ever thought about that when I was on the bench. No, like I think every country is so different. There's so many nuances, uh, and certainly that's something I'm learning. In this program, you know, it's such a such a vast country, uh, huge amount of stakeholders with the provincial and territory uh, programs as well, and you know, it, it's it's very different. And and I've been really open minded to um, athlete feedback, what uh, program feedback, stakeholder feedback, just to actually understand, you know, what we have here, what's possible, um, what the athletes would like to do, and just try and build a a new culture with our staff and our athletes to, you know, get the best out of, you know, our potential. And I think that's that potential is so great because of the, you know, the talent and the amount of uh, great curlers that we have in this country. So uh, it excites me. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, there's a great vision to go forward with. I think everyone's very open-minded and wants to work hard. And we've had some great conversations with our athletes over the last few months. When you first took on this new position, David, you said that one of your first priorities was to meet and talk with as many of the elite curlers in Canada as possible. What were some of your key takeaways from those conversations? Yeah, I think there's uh, there's just look at an opportunity for some more engagement. Uh, I think there was, uh, you know, seeking some more expertise, um, seeking some clarity, uh, and just being very uh, very upfront about what the vision needs to be. What, you know, what are we looking for? How are we going to do it? How are we going to structure our goals and our performance plans to actually uh, deliver on that? How are we going to train? You know, what is our competition schedule? So just trying to put, you know, a, a number of these things together and just add a little bit more. I think what what I've been seeing is um, there's been a lot of good things. It's not like we're, uh, you know, on the other end of the spectrum. We're still at that top end of the podium level. But what can we do to actually just fine tune a few things? So speaking with each team, they all had a few. Uh, you know, a few notes that they wanted to speak to me about, whether it was uh, technical or or access to resources or support services. So, totally trying to really piece some of these things together. So, uh, it's been good to it's been good to get that conversation, and uh, we're just starting to implement a few new ideas. When you were coaching in Scotland, David, uh, you were mostly working with younger players who would have looked up to you when they were growing up as junior curlers. In Canada, several of your top players now, several of the players that are the, the skips and players of uh, some of the top elite teams in Canada, especially on the men's side, are from your age group and former competitors of yours. Has that forced you to adjust your approach at all compared to what you did with the teams and the players in Scotland? Um at the end of the day, I think curling's curling, right? So, you know, if you come with a lens of, of expertise and a knowledge of some of the, you know, maybe some of the things that, that's been tried and tested, um, you know, there's a lot of experience that's um, been around the game for a long time, both in athlete and coaching capacity. So when you talk curling, that's, uh, you, you generally end up with a good relationship. So yeah, I've got a you've got very good uh, understanding with a lot of the athletes. We've had some you know, really good discussions about a lot of things. Uh, does it maybe feel weird talking to, you know, David Murdoch from Scotland and I'm now part of Canada and wearing a maple leaf? Sure, it probably does. And, and that will take a little bit of time to adjust for anyone, right? But, uh, you know, I think it's 
I think it, I think it's all great. I think we're uh, you know at the end of the day, everyone wants to be Olympic champion, and if we work together to do that, then I think we'll be in a good place. Now, I've heard many people say that your top priority should be to get Canada back on the podium at the next Olympics. Understanding that winning and losing at the elite level often comes down to a couple of shots per game, sometimes a rock over curling a smidge, basically a centimeter here and there. How do you balance that when leading a curling program such as the one in Canada where the expectations are so high and the talent level is impressive, but in a world where the other countries have gotten better, the difference in winning or losing a game and missing the podium can come down to one or two shots per game. Well, I think you've got a good point. I think there's um, the, the world's got better. We've got, we all know that. We see the international teams, uh, they come over to Canada, they're training hard, uh, a lot of them full, full-time curlers. And for us, it's been a good discussion on that because, uh, you know, we're still, we're still, like I said before, we're still up there. We're still at that podium level. Um, and what what can we do to actually get that little nudge ahead? And there's a lot of little projects that we're now just starting to look like. You know, how do how do we enhance what they've got? What do we think we need to do? So a lot of the athletes have actually been very curious about well, you know, whether we are a full time caller or not a full time caller, what is it we can do to maximise our ability to be able to deliver on, on the world stage? And those have been great little conversations because everyone's so different. You know, everyone's a different stage of life. Everyone's got you know, a different finance, whatever it needs to be. But we're we're just looking at each team and each athlete individually and holistically to actually say, well, how do we how do we get that extra one percent? You know, you mentioned there, it's like one shot, one one sweep, one you know perfect throw. What is it we do to try and give us the best opportunity to actually be on that podium? And it's not a lot between you know being top of the podium and being fifth or sixth further down, right? There's there's not much in the game now, so uh, these little margins matter, and any little gains that we can make uh, through training or in competition and expertise that we have around that that we can help help with athletes to uh, to deliver is uh, hopefully going to put them in a good. David, there's an old saying that practice makes perfect, but one of the realities of Canadian curling, especially with the current residency rules, is that players on many of the top Canadian teams live quite a distance from each other. Practicing alone might work from a technique and conditioning perspective, but practicing as a foursome, at least from what I've heard from some of the top players in our country and around the world, allows teams to work on strategy, helps team dynamics evolve at a faster pace, and also allows for greater emphasis on some of the nuances of the sport that can often be the difference between uh, winning and losing in some games against top competition. Now, here in Canada, teams like Gushu, Botcher, Holman, and others do a good job of scheduling practice weekends throughout the year. Is that something that you are encouraging more of the top Canadian teams to do during the season? Yeah, I think you mentioned a few teams that are doing some really good things there, and, and it's given them a lot of success through you know, world medals or Olympic medals or slam wins. So I think we're starting to see a lot of the top teams already do some of those things. And and that was part of our discussions this summer to say, well, how do we do a little bit more of that? So um, the last few weeks, we've had a a variety of technical camps across the country, just looking at, uh, you know, a bit more of a technical focus on on technique and and game management and how we make, you know, more shots or make shots... uh, you know, more often. So what does that look like? So we've had a variety of uh, technology and, and our coaching staff have been flying around the country to uh, to just try and take that a little bit to a new level. Uh, and then through the season, just like some of the teams have been doing, but trying to encourage teams to 
you know, come together before tournaments, after tournaments, stay, you know, stay longer in, in some events if possible to, to do some of these, uh, you know, training camps and, and work on communication or technical, what it needs to be. So, um, yeah, there's a bit of a focus on that so we can uh, maximize what we have. David, there was a time, uh, you know, maybe a generation ago in Canadian curling where uh, some of the up-and-coming teams uh, back in those days, maybe a uh, Jacobs or a Goosh or a McCune, ended up playing the top teams in Canada on a regular basis at tour events, uh, you know, out west on the East Coast in Ontario. And um, in this day and age, the slam era, it is becoming increasingly difficult for these young teams to measure themselves up against the best teams in the country, which... To be perfectly honest, it's against those teams that you learn the little nuances, the little things that the elite teams do that make the difference between being a very good Tier 2 level team and one of the top teams in the country. I'm wondering if that's a concern of yours stepping into this new role about providing additional opportunities for these younger teams to match up against some of our better, pardon me, some of our better teams so that they can learn from these top players and perhaps grow from there incrementally and eventually take up that position as one of the elite teams once the Cooies and the Glenn Howards of the world have uh, retired? Yeah, I think you've always got to be thinking about uh, the here and now and, and, and also the future. So there's certainly that two-pronged attack that we're uh, strategically looking at. Uh, obviously, we've, we've got that target of uh, standing top of the podium and in all our disciplines in, in 2026, but we need to think about 2032 and um, I spent a whole week actually in uh, in Edmonton at the next gen U25 Classic, speaking to a number of the teams there, asking a few questions around you know what their experience is like, what are, what is it they need, um, and I feel there's maybe some uh, there's maybe some things we can slightly adjust there. I think there's uh, there's some opportunity to bring some of that expertise to that group. Uh, it's certainly their future. We need to invest in them. And we're we're already just starting to get a few ideas as to maybe where we take that next gen program and what we want it to look like in the future. So uh, a few ideas being generated, um, and equally speaking to the provincial and territory uh, associations as to say, well, you know, how can we how can create high performance across the country? You know, what we are looking for at the NTP, at the top of the pyramids, we actually need to try and disseminate that as far down the pathway as possible so there's been a lot of really good conversations with the the high performance directors uh, we're looking at technique we're looking at how we can interact with teams that are either in next gen or are looking to be in next gen so really good up and coming teams uh, looking at our juniors how do we support them how can we actually bring some more knowledge and and utilize some of our staff to um, to work with them so a few ideas lots to do a lot of work and uh, yeah we're, we're going to get busy. Now, speaking of young curlers, David, it's been a couple of uh, rough years uh, for the Canadian teams at the World Juniors, with Canada now relegated to the World Junior B Championship heading into 2024, which is a position that Canadian curling fans would have certainly not anticipated as recently as two or three years ago. Many believe it is a result of having moved the Canadian Junior Championship so that they take place after the World Juniors. Is it fair to say that you will also be reviewing the Canadian Junior Program to make the tweaks necessary to get Canada out of the World Junior Bs and back on the podium? I mean, obviously, as a concern, we're not in that A division. Uh, and, and equally, we know how hard it is to uh, uh, to stay in that A division too. You know, you've, you've seen many countries yo-yo between A and B, and it's uh, it's a really tough uh, 
it's a really tough setup they've got there with WCF that so many teams uh, go up and down. I know that's something they're already looking at because I think from a you know a worldwide inclusive um, viewpoint, I think we need to try and be a little bit more inclusive for many more countries and. What is juniors? We want to we want them to get an experience, and we want them to actually um, progress and stay in the game. So I know that's that's a lot of discussion there. And from you know from a current Canada perspective, absolutely, we're we're looking at everything right now. What what are we doing? How how is it working? How can we actually maximise uh, what's there? I think Canada was was probably hit a little bit harder in terms of. Uh, the COVID impact too, you know, was a lot more shut down. I think that probably affected, you know, some of the interaction with the juniors, not getting the ice, not getting the coaching that required. And that's such a impressionable age. So there's maybe some, uh, some things there that was, there's a bit unfortunate. Um, but I know there's, uh, there's been a lot of discussion with our, our prog- uh, you know, our teams that are going to world bees this year. Um, I feel pretty confident that, you know, they're training well, we're interacting with staff, we're, we're, looking to get prepared about how we can get back into that A division and, and try and get to the top of the medal. So, uh, yeah, a lot, of good, a lot of good discussion happening. Moving on to mixed doubles, uh, David, it was announced this summer that the Canadian representatives in mixed doubles at the next Olympics will be selected a full year prior to the Games. Knowing that you are going to the Games a whole year in advance is terrific, unless you're also on one of the top four-person teams in the country, which could lead to a scheduling nightmare for the Canadian mixed doubles teams, making it, uh, pardon me, the Canadian mixed doubles team headed to the Olympics, make it, making it difficult for them to actually schedule mixed doubles events if they're in the midst of a push for the Olympic trials with their four-person team. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things we had to, we had to navigate there in terms of, uh, you know, scheduling and, you know, trying to figure out trials, uh, you know, and leading up to that, uh, Olympic Games and, and the four-person Olympic trials as well. So there's a lot of discussion around that. I think we felt that uh, this gives us our best opportunity to train with the team and, and be prepared over the course of a season. Um, now, there could be some athletes, should uh, should that arise, that might be part of a four-person team and want to be in the trials. And that's possible, but that's that's something we can really schedule for. You know, there's uh, there's certainly a lot of ways and possibilities with training and, you know, a slightly lighter schedule possibly for, say, mixed doubles uh, leading into the four-person trials. And then there's still time to get, you know, a little bit more games under the belt leading into the Olympic Games. So there's, there's lots of ways to look at this. Um, I don't think you need to be out there you know, playing week in, week out to be in hot form for February. I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of science and we've saw in several countries that that's not necessarily the the right way to do some things. I think we could be really smart about training and and be prepared. Uh, And and obviously we'll have a lot of games under our belt from the previous season with World Championships for the mixed doubles team. So, um, yeah, I think think we just need to take, uh, take the opportunity with, Whatever team comes through, we have a very clear, precise schedule that works for mixed doubles preparation and also for the four-person team as they lead into their trials. And and again, if they hit lucky again where they're in both, we still have a plan there that continues that, continues that training, continues that schedule where everyone's at their peak performance leading into the event. And finally, David, in late spring, when you will be doing your debrief of the current 2023-24 curling season, what would a successful season look like for the Curling Canada High Performance Program? 
Well, there's no doubt we expect to be in the podium at every every World Championship. That's that's Canada's goal. It should be our goal. Um, it should be our goal to be the top of the podium. So that's always going to be our focus. Um, this is a big year. We've got the uh, you know the Olympic qualification. Um, so we need a we need a very good performance at all these events. So we're we're looking good going into year two is in terms of qualifying for uh, for 2026. Um, so yeah, I think we can make some some good gains as as a program this year going to that world championship feeling confident and uh, we get some medals in the bag and some Olympic points. I think that would be a, a, a great way to to keep moving forward. My next guests are two of the more recognizable young faces in Canadian curling. Laurie Saint-Georges and Félix Asselin are preparing to represent Canada at the 2023 World Mixed Championship in Scotland. And if that's not enough, they also led their respective teams to provincial titles last season and appearances at the Scotties and Briar, respectively. And if that wasn't enough, they're two of my favourite people in curling. Felix, uh, let's start with you. Uh, this season, the two of you must prepare to represent Canada at the 2023 World Mixed Curling Championship. Uh, you both aspire to represent Canada in mixed doubles at the 2026 Olympics, plus each of your four-person teams is the reigning provincial champion. How much work went into creating your schedules for this season where you have to balance so many different things? <laughs> Great question. Uh, I guess we set a list of priorities early in the year. Obviously, the, the World Mixed is something that there's only once a year and if you're lucky enough to go then it's really high in the priorities so obviously we were going to go to that and then uh, further in the priorities I guess me and Laurie both play together in mixed doubles so it's easy for or easier for us to sort of agree on what weekends we would wish to play mixed doubles and then it comes down to just trying to have our men and women respective teams just find a way to play in good enough spiels that aren't too far from home and so on and so on that are fitting with those mixed doubles event. But it, it ends up being like, in a way it's very busy, obviously like it's, it's it jam packed in there, but it, it flows still pretty well. If you look at it just from a like curling perspective. So, Laurie, how many weekends will you and Felix have available this season to just hang out and uh, breathe a little bit with all the curling you're doing? I don't think we have one, actually, before provincials. <laughs> um, I think uh, when I'm home, like, obviously, Felix and I, we have an apartment in Laval, um, but we only really see each other during, like, a curling tournament or something. Like, our couple weekends is pretty much mixed doubles. Um so we try to find ways to just like maybe go for a nice walk or something together um, to spend time as a couple. But um, for this season before provincials, I think I have like uh, three weekends off and I have like other obligations um, with my curling teams uh, in those weekends. So it's every, pretty much every weekend um, I'm gone. Um, but yeah, we don't have... A, really much time to see each other um, in between spiels, especially because uh, Felix is going back to Valdor up north uh, for work. Uh, so we pretty much uh, do groceries for curling. <laughs> 
Lori, this past summer, Curling Canada announced that the Olympic trials in mixed doubles will be held in late December 2024, more than a year before the actual Olympics. How much did that news impact the way that you and Felix approached your scheduling for this season, and how might it impact your schedule for next season, considering that mixed doubles is obviously a priority for you and Felix, but you also have a men's and a women's team that you each individually play for that have their eyes on the pre-trials and hopefully the trials? Uh, yeah, obviously we worked uh, hard with Curling Canada and the coaching staff uh, to plan uh, to plan good season. Um, I feel like we already played um, to spiel and we need to, you know, keep keep our ranking uh, up. Obviously, for this season, uh, the goal is to to qualify for a national mixed doubles and to well, hopefully win it. Um, but yeah, the news is pretty exciting. I find it's a good thing that it's uh, at that timing. Um, for sure, we're playing more spiels than we ever uh, did in mixed doubles. But I think it's it's going to be even like, you know, we're still going growing up as a team, I find. Um, and we're learning from each other every, every spiel that we play in. So... You know, it's a good opportunity for us to just play more and to be ready and to hopefully qualify for the trials. All right, Felix, you're not uh, typically shy of uh, sharing your thoughts on the type of subject I'm about to uh, discuss with you uh, next. Uh, The reality is that several of Canada's top-ranked mixed doubles players are also members of elite four-person teams. How difficult might it be, Felix, for a team that wins the mixed doubles trials to properly prepare to be the Olympic representatives for Canada in mixed doubles if they are then spending the months of August through November in the lead-up to the Olympics focus on preparing for the four-person team trials? Yeah, that's a a fairly loaded question. Um, Yeah, so, like, I really like the fact uh, that they moved the mixed doubles trials to the previous year because it was already way too tight for the winning team to get everything ready to go to the Olympics. So, like, from the mixed doubles perspective, it's great that they moved it. It comes with a challenge, obviously, that because you know you've won in advance, then you have, like, a full year of what would normally be of a preparation year. So you're trying to get ready and, you know, like, focus on analytics and, you know, you'll have the whole Curling Canada crew around you to to be at your best. So, like, if, if, if two sort of, like, high-profile uh, one male and one female player happen to win uh, mixed doubles. It's a bit of a um, difficult situation, I would say, because they are obviously going to want to work hard for the Olympics, but they also need to work for their men's and women's team. That is probably what they would consider their, to be their top, top priority, even though at this point they're going to the Olympics. Um, I'm not sure how teams are going to deal with that. I don't know what they're going to allow their players to do or not. Um, Just the fact that you could possibly play two uh, disciplines at the Olympic uh, in a row without any days of rest is a problem in itself. Uh, I don't think that you can really be in top shape when comes like the third weekend in a row you'll be playing. I really like... Some 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 countries did it last year, and and did fairly well. But I don't know that if I was a team of a high profile that I would want that. Um, I don't know what they're gonna do to be honest, and uh, it's gonna be probably a team by team decision. 
and uh, there might be some differences in between the teams but like the good thing is maybe for a team like uh myself and Laurie uh like we're we're hoping to qualify for the trials the mixed double trials it's not like we we are already qualified but we're definitely working hard towards it and if we do I mean we do know that we have a chance and it is uh, a big focus of ours and last time we played in Brantford uh, a couple of years ago, we were playing to one of the last few spots in the trials that already had teams that weren't included in the trials. A lot of them were going to play, and you know we won that event, so we know that we have a chance. We know that it's not impossible, and you know we're we're going real hard at it to try and give ourselves the best chance because you don't know when it could happen and how many chances you're going to get. And right now we feel like we have one. And Felix, say you and Laurie were on the team that won the 2023 Canadian Mixed Championship, and you will be representing Canada at the World Mixed Championship in Aberdeen, Scotland, in a few weeks. It certainly seems a strange time to have a World Championship so early in the curling season. Has your mixed team even been able to get some game reps in so far this season, or have you been limited to practice sessions? Actually, we got no games yet. Uh, we are playing this very coming weekend, uh, starting Thursday, September 14th, uh, in the Kitchener-Waterloo men's field. So there's basically like a men's section and a women's section. So we've entered the men's section, but as a mixed team. So that'll be our only uh, sort of preparation event going for uh, Aberdeen. But uh, to be honest, we've barely had even had practice yet like we not only didn't get practice all four of us together but we just barely had practice we played me and Lori played obviously two mixed doubles events so far but like my brother that plays second on our mixed team has not played one competitive game yet so that's the challenge of a, of a world championship in October it's normally you know you go into you go into events in October hoping to win money and win points. And if you, you, you do great, but if you don't, it's like just, okay, back to the drawing board, trying to get ready for January, February, March. But right now it's about peaking in October. There's like a second season in the same season that we're really trying to be good for. So we're trying to be top shape, full game ready by mid-October, while our, let's say like the Glenmore Curling Club that we're a member at will have opened their doors two weeks prior. So yeah, it's good. It's a. It's we've never experienced it, but we're 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 definitely putting a lot of efforts individually, all four of us, to get ready for Aberdeen and try to do well at the World Mix Championship. Laurie, my other guest on this week's episode is David Murdoch, the new director of high performance at Curling Canada. He spoke to me about how he wants to ensure that the next generation of players are not left behind in the larger structure that is the high performance program at uh, Curling Canada and that they want to, to give these teams opportunities to grow and improve. You're just a couple of years removed from being a next gen player yourself, uh, Laurie. What advice would you have for David and the team at Curling Canada when it comes to helping curlers in the 25 and under group? Um, that's a really good question. Um, so I was, so my team was next gen in 2018 and I was next gen for two years, uh, after that. Um, I feel like the support of like an individual athlete is, uh, totally different, um, than like supporting, uh, a whole team. Uh, so the access that I had, 
when I was next gen was just, was not like the same thing, you know, like I had uh, access to uh, coaching staff and everything. Um, But, you know, you have to work as a team too uh, with your players. So that was a little bit of an issue I find when, um, you know, they were supporting individual athletes. Um, That was kind of hard for me too, just because like, I was supported by the next gen. Um, you know, they still like helped the team a little bit, but just um, to have access myself and not my teammates uh, to all the coaches and everything was a bit of a struggle sometimes. Um, but, you know, I find like they just should promote spiels and whatnot that the big teams are playing. Like my team, we're from Quebec. We don't have access to a lot of like spiel and whatnot in our province and we do force ourselves to go out west and in Ontario and to register into big spiels, you know, to play those those uh those teams. And even in uh it's been like two years that we're playing in Charlevoix, uh, which is in Quebec, but we were signing up in the men's like the elite men's uh section. And last year we went one, two, three out, right? Because like we were just <laughs> not good enough at that point. Um, but it was still a good practice. You know, you need those games. So I really do um, believe that the young curlers um, needs to play those teams. I don't really know what would be the best way to promote those spills or to help those teams i find it's maybe uh trying to help them to figure out those their or planning their schedule uh to do some meetings with them um but you know it's a it's fairly a hard questions because it depends on the teams you know if, if the team if a team doesn't have like the the money to travel enough well you know they still have to play close to their home and to their home club and just try to make points and make money and look up for sponsors. So, you know, the reality of curling right now is that you need sponsors and when you don't have some, well, it's pretty hard to, you know, travel and whatnot, especially when you're like out of juniors, you know, it's not mom and dad who's paying your, your trip, you know, they're not paying for your expenses and whatnot. So it's, it's pretty hard. Like, Right now, sponsorship is a struggle, I find, and the best teams that, I don't know, win it all, I mean, they all have those big sponsors who can help them to uh, to uh, progress. I mean, we're, we are, uh, myself and Felix also, we are lucky teams that we have uh, financial support, which is very nice, and it help, help us to actually play those spiels against big teams. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like... It's a really good question, and I don't, there's no perfect answer to that, but I find like they should just maybe help them trying to figure out some sponsorships or to plan their schedule with them. Felix, I wanted to ask you about the first big event on the curling calendar this season, the Points Bet Invitational, which is coming up in a week or two. Uh, You qualified for the event last year, and I was wondering if it was a difficult decision for your team to participate in the event, considering you were only guaranteed one game. Now, I realize that Curling Canada helped uh, offset the travel costs for teams, but in some cases, that was two days of travel for potentially one game of curling. Yeah, I mean, the Points Bet was pretty fun for the really short period of time that we were there. Uh, we were pretty much a one and done Played The first draw got pretty smacked by uh, Glenn Howard. 
but uh, it's it, it's a really fun format. So I think that the fact that they cover uh, probably most of your expenses, even if you're coming from far and and probably like a little extra if you're coming from closer, like it's 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 good enough that that we want to play in that event if we can. Uh, obviously, you need a good ranking, and it's oh, some good teams are there, so you can have a some good competition at the beginning of the year. I just find like that because it's such a different format and with such a different purpose that it's it gets you excited to play in a different way than every that everything else does. So I really enjoyed it, and, and yeah, I wish to go back even if you know you could go one game and just kind of have to go back home. And for your part, Laurie, uh, last year's points bet invitational uh, was a bit strange because your team was involved in a fan vote to decide the final team in the field, which, unfortunately for your team, you didn't win that fan vote. Now, I understand that Curling Canada was attempting to generate interest in the event by doing this, but it had to be awkward uh, for you and your team, uh, f- you know, for you to essentially have to go on social media and, and make a sales pitch to uh, the people that were, that were on Twitter to to vote for you uh, to get you that last spot in the points bet invitational. Is it safe to say that you're happy for the teams involved this year that Curling Canada is no longer doing a fan vote? I really do believe that it's a good thing. Um, I don't really speak up usually about those things. Uh, it's not my cup of tea. It's more about Felix's cup of tea. Um, but I really felt um, uncomfortable doing it. And I, I, like, didn't realize it at that time when I was just posting everything and whatnot. And it was, like, a super anxious and, like, stressful day. Like, that day to just, like, plan everything and just, like, everyone was posting and you could see other teams make, like, other posts or, like, videos. And then you kind of, like, force yourself to post more. And then it was just, like, to trying to find some arguments to, like... Well, pick us, pick us. You know, we have that more than them. We have this more than them. And then, like, we want to go and no, no, no. You know, it was just, like, so weird. And I find it was probably not, like, a healthy way to do it also. Like, I just feel like those six teams, like, three three women's team and three men's team, like, it was just we were fighting for a spot on social media. And we kind of looked super desperate at one point And, like it made me feel so uncomfortable at that time. Um, and like that day, it was, it was my actual birthday. And I spent my whole birthday to just making posts and like having that as an argument. You know what I mean? Like it was just so strange to fight for a spot. And I was like, well, we're like, we want to go, we're fighting. And then on Twitter, like the system on Twitter was just not fair, I believe. Like, we would we wouldn't probably won, but whatever. Like it doesn't matter. It's more about like the format. Like it was just a thing on Twitter, which like you could actually make money to like just being there. Um, so yeah, it was kind of an awkward position. But you know, I I just feel like everyone just learns about those experience, and uh, I'm just glad that right now like they they kind of like um, passed this idea and didn't make it this year. 
And finally, Laurie, I'm sure fans of your women's team uh, would want to would want me to ask you about the transition to a new lineup this season. You've added Jamie Sinclair and Marie-France Larouche, as you announced last year, uh, to uh, in what will be a five-player uh, lineup for you. Uh, have you been able to get together as a team, and uh, how are things going early on in your uh, process together, in your progress as a team? Uh, we did actually, did, uh, we did do um, a little training camp kind of thing. So we played in the Saint-Félicien uh, two weeks ago, I believe, or three weeks ago, I believe. Um, and it, it went actually really well. Uh, we qualified in the semifinal and we had a super nice game uh, against Team Black uh, from Nova Scotia. Uh, it was a fun event. Honestly, I feel like um, the team right now is um, very open to learn. Uh, and that's why we actually reached out to Jamie and Marie France because we wanted to really learn uh, and uh, take their experience kind of thing. And I feel like we tried so many things in Saint Felicien, which we really liked. And yeah, it's just going super well. The, the girls are just amazing, and we're having fun. That's the that's the principle, you know. But of course, like winning games. Um, it's fun too. Um, our next spiel as a team will be in uh, Cornwall for the Shorty Jenkins. Um, so we're playing there uh, with Jamie and Marie France. So we're going to have uh, some rotation going there. Um, but I'm pretty excited. Like I played with Jamie and the chemistry on the ice and off the ice is just amazing. You know, the four girls uh, is just great. So we're excited to just you know, play with Marie-France also. Uh, we had, a, you know, a, a weekend this summer uh, that we kind of all saw each other uh, in Montreal and we went to see uh, Marie-France, a uh, little boy, uh, playing baseball, you know, and it was just amazing to see each other this uh, this summer. Uh, but now we're ready to just uh, go on the ice to get some practice and just to try to qualify into uh, our events, but, you know, I can see a lot of potentials for the next years. And that does it for the Season 9 premiere of the From the Hack podcast. A huge thank you to David Murdoch, Logie Saint-Georges, and Felix Asselin for joining me this week. I would also encourage you to check out our partners and friends in the Curling Podcast Network, the Two Girls in the Game podcast, the Rock Logic podcast, and the Curling Legends podcast. I'm Frank Rock, and you're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership.